4: Streaming health, happiness, and hope to the Reno community.
1: With your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First.
5: So welcome to Kidney Talk, and we're here in Palm Springs. And boy, is it hot outside.
1: I know, and we're here at the California Dialysis Council. It's a fabulous meeting. We learn all kinds of things that help improve the kidney community. And we have two great guests today. We have Mark Chow. Who is um, the director of government affairs for Satellite Healthcare? What is,
5: exactly does that mean, government affairs? That has nothing to do with people's personal
4: lives, right? Uh, no, uh, clearly not personal lives. Oh, but it's, it's not but personal but affairs. Not personal affairs, oh, okay. but the importance of the advocacy.
1: And we also have Mike Arnold, and he has his own company, Arnold and Associates. Now, Mike Arnold, how did you come up with the
5: name of your company? <laughs>
2: Uh, We interviewed a lot of people and uh, (laughs) decided that that would be the best thing to call us. And and so that everybody is aware of what kind of a consulting firm we have, I am a lobbyist uh, in Sacramento and I don't think that's a negative term because my job is to help to convey information to legislators about public policy issues under consideration in the state legislature.
1: So how did you get into politics? How did you get into advocating for others?
2: I'll start. Um, I went to UCLA and uh, got a uh, undergraduate and graduate degree there, and thought I wanted to become a big-time city manager someplace. So I went to work for the League of California Cities, moved to Sacramento, really liked the legislative process, uh, enjoyed the interaction, enjoyed representing. Uh, at that time, the client was the, the municipalities of California and was hired away by the California Medical Association, represented doctors for a few years, and then decided to open my own firm. And so now we have uh, lots of uh, healthcare care clients that we represent in Sacramento. My, my
4: story is a bit different. I actually grew up here in California in San Francisco, moved out to Washington D.C. after graduating college and was really interested in health policy. I completed a fellowship in management training at Kaiser Permanente in the mid-Atlantic, decided to stay in D.C. but take the policy track and work in on the Hill uh, at a number of policy institutions and moved out to Santa Monica, California, and worked at Rand Corporation Research for a few years before heading back to D.C., getting my graduate degree in MS in Health Policy from George Washington, and found my way back out here to California. And based in Santa Cruz, my wife is doing her PhD, and satellite healthcare was a great opportunity that came up in allows me to get back to D.C. and work on the issues that I feel are very important to our patients.
1: So, was there one story that actually inspired you, though?
2: Very few little kids uh, think about what they're going to do in the future and and (laughs) say, well, you know, gee, I want to be a lobbyist or I want to be a government affairs representative. I mean, I remember when my son was in like about the third grade or something, uh, we went in to meet with the teacher. Uh, and, and the teacher said, oh, I understand you're a police officer. And I said, well, no, not really. And the teacher said, well, we went around the room asking all the children what their parents did for a living, and your son said that his dad was a police officer. And so the reason why my son said that after I chatted with him is because, you know, what, what do you do, dad? I don't know what you do. So I know he didn't want to feel left out at school, so he knew what a police officer did, and he watched Chips. And... Uh, emergency and all those shows, and so he said, yeah, well, my dad's a police officer.
5: That's so, so funny, because when I was a kid, I always knew when I got older, I wanted to be a kidney patient.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
6: Crazy Kidney Kid here to tell you about the incredible specials we're having. We are definitely wheeling and dealing this weekend. If I can't put you in a proper access, a lifeline like me and the missus like to call them, then I'll stand on my head and eat a low-sodium bug. First, we have a Crazy Kinder Kid special on hemodialysis access with several different models. We have catheters great for the beginners or in any emergency, but you'll soon want to move up to a more sporty model. Next, we have the AV-Graft, a good utility access, but believe me, sweet folks, I have saved the best for last. The fistula! This is the axis that everyone is talking about. You'll get great mileage and years of use with this baby. What's that you say? Hemo just doesn't fit the lifestyle you prefer, PD? Well, feast your eyes on this baby. Oh, I forgot this is radio. You'll just have to trust me on this one, folks. This is the PD catheter model. Beautiful, efficient, and easily hidden from view. So take your pick. We're dealing all week. We'll really have to move these babies.
0: Keep your access clean and free of infection. A daily check for signs of redness and warmth could indicate infection. Check with your health care team for tips on how to keep your dialysis access clean and safe for use.
6: And remember, if I can't put you in one of these lifelines, I'll stand on my head and eat a low sodium bug. So we keep-
4: Actually, sort of fell into a unique position. I'm fifth generation Chinese American, and have all the doctors and lawyers in the family that You're I Chinese? think we need. I am Chinese. I I generation. I thought
5: you were Jewish.
4: Close. I actually have uh, my cousin who's Chinese Jewish, so oh really? we do have that in the family. After uh, matzo
5: ball f- egg foo
4: young combined foods, we uh, my my dad's a doctor, and he actually not necessarily encouraged me to become a physician. He said things have definitely changed. He is very active in San Francisco with the Public Health Department and Health Commission. And he really gave me the insight to say you should really figure out what you want to do in life. And after seeing what he has done for the community, both volunteering, getting involved at the state level, and oftentimes I miss him in Washington, DC. We sort of go back and forth week after week at a different time period, and I've not been in the same place with him in DC for the past few years, but really said, do what you think is important. And I really found public policy advocacy as an important component of politics and the American system to really educate and inform our elected officials about what's happening in their communities.
1: Mike. What's going on in the state of California?
2: It sort of depends upon what you want to talk to talk about. Of course, <laughs> from from our standpoint, we are watching very closely the governor's initiative uh, for comprehensive reform of the health care system and the health insurance system. And the speaker of the assembly and the president pro tem of the senate have their own bills. And this is an issue that's going to be discussed. And we need to make sure that whatever solution they ultimately come up with uh, will work for dialysis patients. So we're watching that carefully. We're watching the budget process, we're watching licensure and certification issues, there are just so many things that we have to be be very, very aware of in terms of the public policy debate in Sacramento to be sure that dialysis patients aren't really kind of forgotten about in this whole process. So, when
1: you say reform, it really means like they're going to change how uh, services are distributed, and if you don't, I know one of the issues that we face a lot of times is there's term limits, so the legislature is always changing in California. And one time, I met with my state senator, and he had no idea that, uh, because transportation was an issue, and he had no idea that every dialysis treatment was an emergency. So I had to explain to him that, you know, look, if you don't pick them up when you plan it, you're going to pick them up and take them to the emergency room. And it was really interesting, because he did not understand that.
2: Yeah that's a good example, a very good example actually. This organization on a number of occasions in the past when we've had severe budget problems uh, has had to fight to keep non-emergency medical transportation services for our dialysis patients because many times uh, under prior administrations, uh, since that is a so-called optional service, states have the option uh, as to whether or not they wish to, they need to provide that service under the Medicaid program, and so since it's an optional service, many times it has been um, um, sort of targeted as something that could be easily cut. And so our job in representing our facilities and our patients has always been. To to make sure that we protect non-emergency medical transportation services for those patients who truly need those services, and that's the key. They have to have what's called a treatment authorization request, which which indicates by a physician that they are they are medically so fragile that they need to have the non-emergency medical transportation services. They can't ride public buses, et cetera.
5: So, is it out of line to request a Corvette convertible to be taken to dialysis? <laughs> I mean, do you think that would pass or not? Probably
2: not. No? No. Now Probably.
5: What public policies should we be worried about as kidney patients? And
2: well, all of um, all of the benefits that are sort of thought of as being a part of the fundamental um, healthcare delivery package. I mean, it's not only non-emergency medical transportation services. At one point in time, there was a proposal to limit um, dialysis patients, in fact, all all Medi-Cal patients, to no more than six uh, uh, laboratory tests per month. And so, you know, we objected to that, et cetera, because what we say often to uh, legislators and public policymakers uh, in the Department of Health Services is that that dialysis patients are different. It's a very fragile population. They need to be thought of differently and treated differently, and uh, must be addressed differently as part of the process in Sacramento. And so, unless you know we're there to stand up for our community, we sort of—it's not that they want to target us and be mean to us, but we, we we're forgotten about. Uh,
1: what What do they think about the most up there? What are they thinking oh, about? Dollars, They're not thinking about us. What are they thinking no,
2: dollars, about? Dollars. Their expense accounts, right?
5: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their expense accounts. And is, who, yeah. who's worse in helping us? The into the Democrats. Come on, tell us all.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? We get real good support across the boards when we're good at delivering our message, and and it's very helpful always for us to have legislators come to the dialysis clinic and talk to the patients and actually see what we do. When we can get the legislators to come to our clinics, they are they are generally lifelong supporters. But where we really encounter difficulties is is when you know we have very severe budget problems. We're worried this year. We think that with the the May revision of the state budget this year, we're probably going to have a four or five billion dollar budget deficit, and so we're going to have to be there fighting to make sure that all the benefits provided to the dialysis community continue to be provided notwithstanding uh, this severe budget deficit.
1: So why is it important to belong to the California Dialysis Council and become involved? with your state legislature?
2: If we aren't there to represent ourselves and if we don't make sure that the legislators and the public policymakers in the Department of Health Services understand what we do and how we do it, uh, then um, they are likely to forget about us. And, and we have more power if everybody uh, joins together. So for example, if there's a bill up in the Assembly Health Committee and you look at the membership of that Assembly Health Committee, they're distributed uh, throughout the state in various parts of the state. So if we were just one segment of the community, Uh, we might be able to to talk with a couple of those members, but by having the California Dialysis Council, we can send out a memorandum to every dialysis facility in every district of every one of those members of that committee and therefore we can have uh, impact on all of them, not just a few of them.
1: Well, One of the things I did, it's interesting with your state (coughs) legislature, is um, my state senator, I actually hosted a coffee for him at my home when he was running for election. And one of the things that's really interesting that I find is that if you really help them out when they're trying to become elected or re-elected, they're more apt to work with you. And then it's neat because I have a great relationship with Senator Scott now, and it's because I helped him. And also, I have an African gray parrot. It take, you have to take tricks too. I have this African gray parrot, and he came over to my house, and my parrot, I tell him, Johnny, what happens if we don't get a patient Bill of Rights? and he'll flip over and he'll do a complete dead chicken (laughs) and and then i thought oh i'll impress the senator so and he's for gun control and everything so i said johnny what happens if we don't get the guns off the street and he actually screamed and then he died (laughs) and and so every time i see jack he goes Lori, can you bring this bird? Can you bring your bird to the Senate floor? And I want to do this trick. And I'm like, I'll never get him to be able to do it again. So you got to find all kinds of little tricks to create a personal relationship.
5: I thought what was funnier is when you were teaching your husband the same tricks. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the governor is trying to, you know, have this... Healthcare reform. Uh, how successful is he at doing this?
2: Well, it's it's very interesting. We have about six million people in California who currently uh, are legal without, or illegal are without health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and many of the people who are without health insurance who are uh, illegally in in uh, the state. Uh, and one of the big debates has been, particularly with children uh, who are immigrant children, uh, whether or not you should cover those. And there's one block of people who say, no, that encourages uh, more people to come to California illegally. And another block says, hey, they're here. If we don't cover them and provide them with services, they're going to show up in our emergency rooms when they're really, really sick. They're going to cost us more money, etc. Uh, and so those are a bunch of sub-issues, but in terms of the primary issues, the governor uh, has uh, come up with a plan, uh, which he uh, has, has put forth, and, and in which he talks about shared responsibility, everybody should share. So under his plan, the doctors would pay a 2% fee Uh, on all of the money that doctors make uh, to the state. Uh, Hospitals would pay a 4% fee on all the money that they make, and then we would increase Medi-Cal rates to the Medicare uh, level, and uh, that would then bring more money back to those doctors and hospitals, et cetera. And so he has requirements on healthcare, uh, on the healthcare industry, on employers, uh, et cetera, et cetera, on individuals to purchase insurance. So basically you have a very complicated uh, and, and interrelated system Uh, that nobody likes. And so he has he has opposition uh, from the employers, from the hospitals, from the doctors, you yeah, know, from patient advocates. Yeah, they must hate The doctors must hate that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much everybody hates it. But what everybody says is that we like the fact that the governor has taken some initiative here, and and, uh, and so we may not like this plan, but we're going to do something. Uh, and just one last comment on that: this is the part of the uh, of the of the issue where we must be very very cautious because when prison reform was accomplished over the last uh, week. Uh, that happened by legislative leadership and the administration going into a closed room and they made a deal, uh, the so-called parties at interest or the stakeholders like the prison guards union and the, and the prison rights people and that sort of thing. They were left out of the debate uh, and that public policy was established sort of behind the scenes and was then popped out and was, was voted on the floor of both houses. So we have to be very careful because there is the potential that there could be a movement uh, in the legislature and with the governor to put all these deals together and then pop something out that doesn't work well for our patients, so we have to be very watchful of this process.
1: Now, I've heard a rumor that Arnold Schwarzenegger has kidney disease or on dialysis.
5: I heard he was from another country, actually.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Mr. Shelton's in room three.
3: Thank you. Mr. Shelton. Mr. Shelton! Ah, yes, doctor. What seems to be the problem today? Um, I'm having a problem not being able to sleep. Really? I also find it difficult to breathe. Can we open a window or turn on a fan or something. Certainly. Uh, let me ask you, do you feel depressed? No, I, I don't think so. But, but I do think my life is worthless and I don't enjoy things I used to. And I feel like the whole world may blow up, But other than that, not really. That's weird. I I also have a problem concentrating. Like the other day, do you know how they get those model ships in those bottles? Actually, I will have a cheeseburger. Of course I can do the Macarena. Oh, see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. Mr. Shelton? Mr. Shelton! Yes, doctor! You obviously have low energy. That's amazing. How did you know? Mr. Shelton, I I believe you're anemic. Actually, I'm half Irish, but my dad knows someone in Armenia. No, our, our anemic. We'll give you a simple blood test and we'll run your hematocrit. It needs to be at least 33%. We'll have you back to normal in no time. Some of the medications we can give you while you're doing your dialysis. Managing anemia results in a more active, happier, better quality of life, and studies show you may even live longer. Mr. Shelton? Mr. Shelton! Nurse, patient removal, room three. Yes, doctor.
1: Well, I have to tell you right now is one of the most critical elements for kidney patients in this country. Right now, we have so much at stake to either lose or get it right or change. I mean, in my 38 years of having kidney disease, I've never experienced how much the dialysis industry is under scrutiny. And one of the problems is, is I feel as a patient, is that when I visit a congressman or a senator, they say, wow, you're a kidney patient? They really don't understand that kidney patients have a lot to offer, have a lot to give. They think that they're basically not gonna live. And so now we really need to to rebrand kidney patients. We need to get the patients who are active out in front of elected officials because we take a lot of resources and if they don't see the value in them, they're gonna continue to cut our services.
5: Yeah, I think kidney patients are very misunderstood. And because, uh, you know, when people find out that I'm a kidney patient, first of all, they say, my gosh, you don't look like a kidney patient, you know, which I don't know what kidney patients look like normally. And uh, the other thing that happened was I was making a personal appearance somewhere and someone found out I was a kidney patient and they actually said to me, oh, so you basically have about seven years to live. I said, maybe I should have raised my fee for speaking then. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to know about this uh, Kidney Care Quality and Education Act. Can you t- tell me exactly what it is and to our listeners?
4: The Kidney Care Quality Education Act was recently introduced February 27th of 07, Capitol Hill. We're very grateful that Alonzo Mourning represented the industry again, as we all know, wonderful basketball player with the Miami Heats, and winning the national championship last year. And ironically, when we were out there, George W Bush invited the team to the White House and actually did say and we always look for little buzzwords that come out of the press and he did say it's great to have Alonzo Morning back. He is a kidney transplant survivor and how amazing it is that he can take his team and win the championship last year. So I think those kinds of statements coming out show that there is an understanding of our issues and our disease. So that was a real important component. This bill is actually new, however, we did have a bill that I think is important to realize that was out there since '05. And the original bill had really good bipartisan sponsorship with both Republicans and Democrats. It had 190 co-sponsors in the House and 33 in the Senate. And those are pretty impressive numbers. Um, this new legislation has taken a new approach to really look at what is really important to keep within the bill what is important to really see that potentially can pass and move in the next year or two, and with the new Demo- with the Democrats taking over the House and Senate, there needs to be a new approach. And I believe this kind of legislation. So your- the Democrats are giving you a hard time, then, right? We've had good support by both of the Democrats and the Republicans. Oh, you're so you're uh, so uh, <laughs> They, they both have been, in fact, Barbara Boxer signing onto the bill from California quite quickly. We're How excited. many co-sponsors
1: did we have last year? Because we had the Kidney Care Quality and Improvement Act of 2005, and I think we left Congress with 190
4: 100, in the
1: 190 house. 190 co-sponsors, and maybe you can explain what a co-sponsor means, because I didn't really know this when I first started. Um, uh, going out and educating patients, and, and then I would educate patients to go educate their elected officials, and somebody would become a co sponsor. And basically, that means.
4: Sure. Real quick, the sponsors typically are the ones that introduce the legislation. So, for the new bill that we have in the Senate, 691, Senator Conrad from North Dakota, in the House, 1193, Camp from Michigan and Representative Lewis from Georgia. So they're the ones that actually introduced the bill. They see a bill go through. They're completely supportive of the legislation and are helpful in forging relationships with others to have them also support the bill, which leads to what is known as co-sponsors. And as we said 190 and 33, those are the people that really believe in the bill as well. They are supportive of the issues. And depending on how a bill moves, or if it doesn't move on its own, it might move on a Medicare bill at the end of a year, those are the people that would then be supportive of it and allowing that to continue moving. Um, we're, I think we're, again, pleased with the numbers that we currently have. So the bill currently where it stands, and it was just introduced in February, so we need to be a bit patient. Things do move slow in D.C., we all know that. Um, Senate bill's got about 11 co-sponsors at this point, including Barbara Boxer. And I was quite pleased to see that we've worked closely with her. I know Lori Hartwell has as well. We've had a number of meetings with her staff. And it was great to see the true relationships that are forged and built when people visit. We received an email after our visit two days later saying she's going to co-sponsor the bill. And it was just really nice to see how they do interact with you and tell you their subjects, what they feel, what we need to do to help them understand the issue, and then really tell us they're, they're getting back on. In the House, again, we've got 39. So it's a good number. I, I believe the way that this bill is, and I've put up a slide up here, and for, for the people listening on the radio show, I think really the RSN, Reno Support Network, has come out with one of the best ways of looking at this bill. And I'm, I want to take a minute real, really quickly to look at it. And the main five, and I think it's great, Heart. Is a real great way of looking at this because it really describes the five major components of the bill, and I'm grateful that the patients of RSN created that kind of lingo and the kind of acronym that's easier to remember. As a matter of fact, we just
5: created a commercial too that will be running on renal support networks. Kidney talk.
4: That's fantastic. <laughs> that's great. Heart home dialysis. Real important, and we heard that all today, the importance to really understand different modality options, the importance to look at home dialysis. There is a section there that is reporting and wanting the IOM to do a study to understand difficulties and reasons why home dialysis has not continued being a bigger percent in the U.S. Education. We all understand education is is a key component for both our patients today and future patients, and for us to be able to, as providers, to really push the envelope back and say, we want to go to stage four. We don't need people going to stage five and have ESRD. We really need to take the lead and understand and bring awareness back up to the other patients, and that leads right into the awareness, and this bill does include an education awareness, so supporting education and awareness for pre-dialysis, so for CKD patients to truly understand hypertension, diabetes, obesity, we all know what's out there. It's important to prevent that from those people moving towards the SRD. Clearly, reimbursement has always been an issue, and that still remains an issue for dialysis providers. This bill has really looked at how can it potentially really continue moving correctly, and I believe they've got it correct at a three-year update looking at a CQI, continuous quality improvement, and their focus is to look at bonuses coming from part of the increase that you hope you get on an annual year. And finally, technicians, a, a real important group. We all know that for our patients beyond the clinical, people, beyond the nurse, beyond administrators, the technicians play a key role. And California has done a great job with legislation in the past. This bill will also try to streamline and standardize what the technician should be across the US. And I believe and hope that California's original language is something that will be included with this so that we don't have to make major changes in California. We're heavily regulated, as Mike Arnold knows, and we would like to keep a lot of things standardized across what we do in California. So
5: you, you have Barbara Boxer on board right away, right? Is, is Diane do. Feinstein holding out or something?
4: Feinstein's office, to this point, has not signed the bill. She did not sign the bill of the Senate Bill 635 as well. We have worked with her office. I know Lori Hartwell has gone out as well. We do believe that they are interested in our bill. Our last meeting was a couple months ago. They're interested in the bill. They would like to know a little bit more about the bill, potentially what happens after a three-year annual update. So I I believe we could continue working with them and find out if there's a way that they can get onto this bill or at least continue supporting the legislation. So So what's
5: the best way to communicate with your uh, elected official uh, other than bribes?
4: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bribes are not a good way to communicate with oh, anybody right. <laughs> on the Hill. However, I'd say everyone in this room today, in a matter of two to three minutes, can really make a be- begin to make a difference. And Mike is going to show us real quick here, there's many ways to do it. Number one, the easiest way is to really target a website such as the NRAA, the KCP, which is we are all members of through the CDC. They have something that's great called CapWiz. Gotta love technology, gotta love the internet. We have to really use the resources that we have today. If someone would go onto the NRA website, you click on the CapWiz, you type in your zip code, comes up with the information for either your home, if you wanna make it more of a residence, if you wanna be where you work, if you wanna be a facility. So you can do it multiple times because you actually represent yourself in many ways, both personally at your home as well as where you work. By pulling up the information, it comes out with both the Senate and the House. You click on the, the correct person. There's a pre-made template, which is great. We encourage people at Satellite Healthcare to actually look at the template and actually change it, add their name, add their position, put what they currently do in the facility. Really not that difficult to do, but to really just make a little personal touch and you click send. Ironically, this kind of impact is an important key component of helping legislation move. Hearing from constituents, even if it's via email, which is really the way to go now. The other way to do it is you pick up a phone. You call the district office. You call the Washington, D.C. office. You tell them which bill you're supportive. It takes you one minute. They don't ask you many questions beyond that, and someone will record the information down. They keep tallies, and that helps to show that there's support for the bill.
1: Well, one of the experiences we had uh, last year, a bunch of patients went. We went to meet Feinstein's office, and we affectionately called the health legislative aid the ice queen um, because she was so cold, and there's about eight of us patients, and we're sitting there, and we're trying to talk to her, and then we're going around, and we're trying to tell all our stories, and, and we get to the last person who's going to tell her story, Rhonda, and Rhonda goes oh, well, my kidney failure co- was caused by ibuprofen. And she, out of her pop- pocket, she pulled an ibuprofen and started reading it, she's oh my God, I just took it. Do you think I have kidney failure? Oh my God, and, and what was really interesting is that, you know, you have to make that connection of, because if you go to an elected official, there's one term, it's, what's in it for them? And when you can make it have a personal connection, we walk into offices and we talk to different patients, I mean, different healthcare professionals and the patients, talk to them, inevitably they know somebody with kidney disease they just don't remember. And that's why it's so important to get in front of these people. And it doesn't have to be the healthcare, excuse me, it doesn't have to be the congressman or congresswoman, it can be the aide. Because a lot of times, the aide will spend more time with you. And it was really exciting, because when we visited, we went in and you know, met with all these people. We come out, and they actually said, OK, I'll be a co-sponsor. They had already read the bill, because when you set up a meeting, they try to read it ahead of time. They try to run it by the elected official. And if they agree with what the person says, they have the go-ahead to say, OK, I'll be a co-sponsor. So it's very empowering to walk out of an office and say, we had 10 co-sponsors after our visits last year, just from going up there. And I, I thought when I would go to the halls of Congress, I would see just tons of people. Some of the, the halls are empty. I mean, the staff members are so young. I'm like, oh, I'm getting old, or they're getting young, I don't know what. And they're watching basketball a lot of times. There's like TVs up, and they're watching TV. So they need to hear from us. And, you know, one of the things I've always heard from people is they think it's somebody else's job. Well, as patients, we're asking you to please get involved because this is our life. And if we don't make it better, you guys can find another job. We can't find another health care system.
4: There's many ways to get in front of your congressman or your senator. and number one, faxing is a a great way to initially make contact beyond calling. Typically they'll actually tell you if you would fax a date, an event, what are you looking for, how many people might be attending, or the other option is picking up the phone and finding out if they would just schedule an appointment with you when you're visiting. But I actually think that there's been some new ideas out there beyond visits to D.C. which are very important and I believe the Reno Support Network with patients going to D.C. is a key component. Reality is a patient's experience, story, description of what they go through, how they feel, what experience they go through three times a week is the biggest message you can take to Sacramento, to Washington, D.C., or even to the district office. and. I believe this year, a lot of the organizations we're part of in Washington, D.C., are very supportive of meetings, events outside of Washington, D.C. A number of events take place all the time in D.C., a great Hill event, but in reality, getting someone to visit your facility is a key component. And I believe the biggest area for difficulty for our patients is really getting them out to D.C. I think it's a lot harder than it is for other disease patients, and I think the best example I could remember, and I think it was great to see, and I'm in full support of what the American Cancer Society has done, they were able to bring out thousands of patients at the same time for a one week period, wearing t-shirts, all on the hill in Washington, D.C., as cancer survivors, victims, spouses, significant other, friends, and it really makes an impact. And what they were able to do was really put out the map of the United States on the mall, And the senators and congressional members have come out and signed their names on their state to say they're in full support, they understand the needs, they want to do more research. I believe it's a little more difficult for our patients. As much as we are getting out there, and the Renal Support Network is doing a great job in other patient groups as well. But I think the other component, which might be easier for both facilities and patients, is to contact your local district office. They're not that far away from facilities and we should really take a new stance to say let's get in front of them even if it isn't the member, their health staffer, their chief of staff in the district office and do the same thing you'd be doing in Washington, D.C. It's a real important component. It's easier to do for our patients, and it's something that I believe our patients would want to do. We've enjoyed doing it with our well-bound patients, both in Sacramento. We have site visits in our facilities, and I truly believe that's a new way of looking at it beyond just DC.
5: Now, is there anything that we shouldn't do, like, for instance, you know, in front of Capitol Hill, block it with old dialysis machines? You know, stuff like that. Like a, a good old-fashioned sit-in. An old-fashioned sit-in, it's a, it's a new concept. Yeah,
4: I, it a bunch it, it thousands would be eye-opening, wouldn't it?
5: Yeah, thousands of kidney patients, you know. Uh,
4: to, to be honest... Fistula to fistula. To be, to be honest, people on the Hill don't really know what the facilities look like, what's happening on a daily basis, and what people hear and what our patients go through. So I'm not advocating a sit-in, but I would say it, it's real interesting when they first experience and visit a facility and see what it looks like. They don't so, realize it's an open So if room. we do
5: civil disobedience, they'll say, where did you hear
4: it from? We'll say, we heard I, it from you. Again, not advocating <laughs> any civil disobedience, but just advocating the need for them to understand. You can always blame it on the lobbyists, though, down there. That is correct.
2: You know, I, I do have a comment on this, and, and my comment is that what you'll find is that these legislators at the state and federal level are just like uh, the rest of us. Uh, And they really do want to hear from their constituents. And so if you call, if you ask to speak with the scheduling secretary, ask to set up a meeting, you may follow up with the facts. Generally speaking, they're going to be really quite responsive because they they are going to want to hear what you have to say because they know that, uh, that the people in their district are going to be voting at the next election.
1: And we'll be right back with more Kidney Talk.
2: Postman, here you go.
1: Hmm.
3: I won the million-dollar giveaway sweepstakes. Oh, I finally got my tax refund check. Oh my God, I I can't believe this! I got my order of Dairy Delicious! Oh boy, milkshakes, creamy soup, cereal with milk, and pudding!
6: (laughs) Why is Mr. Smith so excited about his Dairy Delicious? I have a hint. You see Mr. Smith is on dialysis and Dairy Delicious is real milk especially created for kidney patients. It has half the potassium and half the phosphorus of regular 2% milk, but it has 100% of the flavor, perfect for people who love dairy products and need to keep their lab values normal and dietitians happy. And most of all, it's delicious. Thousands who have tried Dairy Delicious sing its praises. Hallelujah. See what I mean? To order your own Dairy Delicious and possibly get as excited as Mr. Smith here, call 1-877-4-DAIRY-7. That's 1-877-432-4797. Or visit DairyDelicious.com. Dairy healthy, dairy good, dairy delicious. The milk that's made for you.
4: This commercial was produced for Kidney Talk, a weekly show produced by Renal Support Network. Listen to Kidney Talk
1: 24-7 at rsnhope.org.
0: My, my question actually has to do with uh, transportation, always an entertaining issue. To Mr. Arnold, do you think that the governor is going to blue pencil our uh, budget for um, non-emergency medical transportation again this year? And the other one is for Mark, and do you think there's ever going to be a possibility for um, Medicare to do non-emergency transportation for our patients? And in that light, it's very interesting that in some states, Medicare patients come to dialysis clinics by ambulance. And we just discovered that some of our patients actually qualify for that in this state, which is quite exciting, because now we can get them across county lines and into our facilities. So those are my questions.
2: Well, I'll, I'll start. Uh, fortunately, um, we have not had NEMT, Non-Emergency Medical Transportation Services, blue-penciled in the past by... Uh, by by any governor we've been successful in. In getting budgets uh, through the legislature, which included funding for uh, for that, so I'm optimistic that we'll continue being successful in the legislature. Um, you know, the price of democracy is eternal vigilance, they say, and so we have to be vigilant, and we have been. So, so that's been good. One of the things that we we are now faced with, however, is a lot of the transportation companies are finding it harder and harder to survive out there in the marketplace because of the cost of gasoline, especially and labor. So we have tested in budget subcommittees over the last couple of years requesting a, a rate increase uh, for the transportation providers uh, the legislature agreed with us last year and put in a, an 8% rate increase but the governor did blue pencil that so uh, so we're hopeful that this year we'll get a rate increase for the uh, non-emergency medical transportation providers so that so that there will be more uh, of the providers out there continuing to provide these services for the patients.
1: Are there any of the presidential candidates that you think would be more supportive than some other one? Mike? Mike?
2: I thought that was a question for you, Lori. Oh, well
1: I am personally looking for a Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton ticket.
5: We have your newsletter at our unit for our patients. We think it's wonderful, it's great. I have an 88% Hispanic population in my unit. Does it come out in Spanish because it would be so wonderful to share and distribute to our patients?
1: No, it does not at this time. We have a website called kidneytimes.com, and we have about 12 Spanish articles on that website. But we haven't at this time because of, of simply, number one, funding, and number two, we're trying to figure out you know what topics would be best. But I totally agree, and maybe we can find a, an equivalent Hispanic kidney talk show host and, you know, they can have their own kidney talk show eventually. Something that, because I know the Hispanic population, there's so many different, um, you know, languages that we speak out in this community and it's hard to communicate. But I also believe that we have an opportunity to find the patients who speak English and Spanish as a second language. Let's really work with them and help them go out and educate. The other patients. So that's what I believe needs to happen. So if you have a strong patient who is bilingual and wants to be a leader, send them our way.
6: Lori and Steve, I'm Peter Crooks. I'm a kidney doctor and I'm on the board of directors of the California Dialysis Council. And I just wanted to, to thank you guys for coming out. I think this has really been a, a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful experience to have you out here both for this session and to have you ha- to hang out with. And, and I just want to let you know that we think I think, and I think I can speak for the Board of Directors, we think you're doing a great thing for kidney patients and we're behind you all the
3: way.
1: Oh, well thank you. Thanks.
6: Keep it up.
1: Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible.
5: Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen.
1: Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney
5: Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care, North America.
1: Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community.
5: Visit rsnhope.org for more information.
3: The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.